The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out as that goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest program. And the last This Week in Rays Baseball before I hand over the reins of this show to Chris Adams-Wall. Now, Chris will be on the show as Andy and I give you a good introduction as to who he is and what he's about. Plus, we'll introduce you to pitcher Sean Armstrong, chat with bench coach Rodney Linares, and visit with Ralph Wimbish Jr. about the legacy game that was held on Friday. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our feature guest this week is one of the key relievers right now in the Rays bullpen. That's Sean Armstrong. Sean, thanks very much for a few minutes. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I was hoping to have you on earlier in the season, and obviously you were dealing with the neck issue. First of all, how's your health, and what was that like to go through before you came back? Uh, everything's good to go now. You know, I'm feeling really, really good. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate kind of circumstance to, you know, be injured, especially coming into spring training. That's never fun for anyone. But I can't say enough about the staff, the medical staff, the coaches, everyone here. Um, you know, they did their diligence to kind of get me back on the field. They were phenomenal. They were patient. You know, so like, like I said, it's, it's it was a blessing to be here with these guys, some of the best medical staff in the in the world and you know like like I said they did everything they could to get me back and uh, just happy to rejoin the guys and try and keep something special rolling this year. And so far so good for you on the mound this year and I think there was especially a lot of excitement for you because of the way you finished last year. Would it be fair to say it was probably some of your best stuff in the major leagues? Oh 100 percent you know I think that you know last year was definitely you know as a whole probably my best year that I've had in the big leagues you know obviously and then taking that into be able to experience playoff and I mean unfortunately came up short but you know anytime you get a chance to you know pitch in the playoffs be a part of the playoffs it's something that you can never take for granted because not a lot of people can say they did that but again I'm just trying to have a focus on this year and build off what we did last year and you know just keep rolling with the confidence that Snyder instills in every single one of us and just anytime your name's called to you know do your job take the ball. Some people say that this place especially for pitchers brings out the best in them. Why has it brought out some of the best in you? What makes you feel comfortable here? I think it's just the multiple outlets that we have of resources. You know, whether it be Julian, whether it be Winston, whether it be Snyder, whether it be Monkey, whether whether it be anyone, you know, here that works on the pitching side. And then not only that, you know, picking the hitting side, you know, and how they would attack us and stuff like that. But I just think that it's just the communication whenever you come over here and like and I and I I think everyone says it and I preach it is just the confidence they instill in every one of their their relievers their pitchers in general you know like they have a plan of attack for as soon as they get you like as soon as I got traded over here they sat me down in an hour half meeting and said this is what you're doing this is how we think you should do things this isn't telling you to change this is just a road map of how we foresee your your arsenal and you know I took it for what it's worth because I wasn't having a great year at the time and just tried to instill that in my prep work, my routines, and then my in-game scenarios and just let the rest take care of itself. And I felt like it's, you know, done a pretty good job of that. You have been with several organizations. So how different is that 
from maybe what you experienced? How do other teams, not to single anyone out, but how different is that messaging from what you experienced? You know, I think it's like anything, you know, like anytime you go from a team to a different team, organization to different organization, everybody's philosophy is different. Everybody's algorithm is different, you know, when it comes to how you do things. So I, don't, I wouldn't say that one organization does things differently than, you know, the other, um, you know, because like when I had my time with Baltimore, we weren't analytically driven. Now they're extremely analytically driven. So I think it's just, it's like anything else, you know, as a coach, you have to adapt. You know, as a player, you have to adapt. When it comes to information, you have to adapt. So I think it's just what roadmap that organization's taking to get there. And Tampa just so happens to be a little bit ahead of the time, ahead of the times whenever I got here. Now I would say across the board, I would say 99% of teams are now super analytically driven, software driven. You know, they, we are fortunate enough to have Jay Money here who knows a lot about our stuff more than we even know about ourselves at times. So, I mean, it's... It's just a special place, but again, it's the communication, it's the atmosphere, it's the family orientation we have as a whole, and just, it doesn't matter who's got the ball, we're all cheering for that person to have success, regardless, you know, if we if we fail, we ride or die together. I mean, that's kind of how we treat it as a bullpen, it doesn't matter who's got the role, who's got the ball, it's like, I've gotten to a pickle on Friday night, and Fairbanks comes in and, you know, cleans it up for me. Fortunately for me, I have one of the best relievers in the game coming in behind me to, you know, to clean that up. But it's just day in and day out. It's just pass the baton, do your job. You know, like, and we have fun doing it together. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun to be here. You mentioned it's almost like that family atmosphere, though. And while they said, here's what we think you can do, it seems like they also focus on what you do well as much as anyone else. A hundred percent. I mean, like, again, like that's where, like what I said, like, they said, here's what you're doing, here's what we think you can do and what you should do. And it's and it's not like it's a complete turnaround of what you're already doing. It's like, hey, let's add this little thing here. It could be very, very miscreant. It could be something big, you know, like but for me it was more of just attacking from pitch one. You know, attack the strike zone, let your stuff play, don't give the hitter too much credit. Those hitters are really good, but all of our pitchers were here for a reason as well. We're all have pretty good stuff too. So we just you know, I just tried to instill in our philosophy and attack hitters and trust my stuff and let it play. Let's hear a little bit more about, to your backstory, because have you always been a pitcher? Have you always wanted to be a pitcher growing up in North Carolina? What got you hooked on baseball? Honestly, when I was growing up as a kid, I hated baseball. Um, I hate's a strong word, but, I didn't, uh, but soccer was always my first love whenever I was, whenever I was growing up. And you know, obviously I started playing baseball um, at four years old and it just kind of came natural whenever I was playing. But my love was always playing center field and hitting. That's my thing. I was supposed to go to East Carolina University to play two-way. Um, but then I ended up just sticking to pitching after having labrum surgery uh, back in 2008 because I was actually supposed to go first round out of high school as well um, as a pitcher. But uh, didn't work out, and I'm thankful for that. I wasn't mature enough to go professional baseball to high school. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's always been something I've done. You know, like I grew up playing baseball, soccer, football, and I raced motocross, you know, coming up, and then studied martial arts underneath my grandfather for a little while until baseball kind of took over all facets of my life. So, but, um, no, it's baseball's everything. I mean, I'm building a baseball facility right now. So that's that's what I want to do whenever I get done playing as well. So it's it is my life. I mean, it's 
eat, I eat, breathe, sleep, everything baseball. So it's 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 a blessing. I love it. So you don't have even a hobby of motocross or any martial arts or any of that anymore. Uh, right now, it's strictly deer hunting and deer hunting and uh, baseball. Yeah, I mean, when I'm not playing baseball in the off season, I'm training kids. I got a pretty good group of kids um, at home that I've you know been with over the last five years and. Um, and then again, our baseball facility is opening this October in Wendell, North Carolina. So we're very, very excited about that as well. So what part of North Carolina? Do you grow up on the eastern side of the state? And where is this facility? I grew up in New Bern, North Carolina. Well, actually, Bridgeton, North Carolina. It's a town of 400 people. But um, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina now, which is two hours west of uh, New Bern, North Carolina. And uh, our baseball facility will be opening in downtown Wendell, which is 12, 12 minutes from Raleigh, North Carolina. Near this, near Zebulon and the stadium over there. Yeah, it's probably 15 minutes from Zebulon, 15 minutes from downtown Raleigh. It's right kind of in the heart of everything. 15 minutes from Clayton, 15 minutes from Nightdale. So it's it's a great location, but it's a really small, quaint town, and I'm really excited about the area. As a guy who grew up further eastern in North Carolina, so is it only eastern barbecue for you, or do you do you like eastern, western? What's your what's your pleasure, or neither? There's not even a question. It's it's Eastern barbecue, vinegar-based, and you mix barbecue sauce on barbecue, it should be brisket, not barbecue. So that's just my personal opinion. But, um, but yeah, definitely Eastern barbecue. It's will always be a favorite. King's Barbecue, Kinston, North Carolina, shout out, best barbecue around. So is that is a and that's a family thing too. It's there's no division in the household between Eastern and Western. No, my parents 100% Moore's barbecue uh, generated started in New Bern, North Carolina. But yeah, 100% Eastern barbecue for all them, for all my whole family as well. I'm guessing in this clubhouse you have a lot of interesting conversations. How much revolves around hunting since you love that so much? Um, honestly, not a lot here. Um, I mean, we have some guys that like to really like to fish. You know, Beakers, he's an avid duck hunter in Arkansas, naturally. You know, but I mean, not a lot of white-tailed deer hunters here very much. Um, you know, and, and I trophy hunt. I'm not in it for to do it. You know, just to harvest as many I can harvest is not about that for me. You know, like I really enjoy the growing, developing, the managing, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but we don't talk about it too much here. I mean, it's it's a lot of family-oriented conversations here. You know, I think 90% of the guys here have kids, so like that's pretty much the center front of our conversations in the bullpens and the clubhouse, talking about what our kids this did this day, or Pete Fairbanks slamming a basketball goal, hitting him in the face this day. You know, like. It kind of revolves a lot about our family and kids, and I and I think that's also what makes it really special here because like we don't come to the ballpark every day talking about baseball. You know, it's like, hey, what's your family doing today, or what's your family doing on the off day, or what are we all doing together on the off day? You know, and then in the bullpen, obviously, some of those conversations can't be disclosed, but you know, it's it's a fun group down there, man, and it's it's just it's just really special. It's really special to be a part of. I guess you know to stay out of Pete's way if he wants to play basketball from now on. Yeah, just I'll just get him under the rim. He may he may be a little shell shocked to the rim from now on, so maybe that six foot eight frame will stay out near the three point goal as well. How do the kids get along too? Because your yours is what close to three now, or yeah, he's two years, two months. So I mean, he's kind of he's kind of honestly right in the middle of that tough age gap to where you know like Kit's kids are three, Pete's kids are three, or just below or one years old. So like he's kind of caught in the middle right now where he plays with the young ones and as the daycare would say it he's a little too rough and then he plays with the older ones and he thinks he's a four-year-old and he's not quite there yet so but no it's it's great I mean you, we see him at 
birthday parties. We have a birthday party get together for them this coming Sunday. I mean, they they all play great together. So I mean, and it's it's, it's nice because all the wives can you know sit back, relax, and just let the kids enjoy one another. How much does that help you, just to be able to defuse when you leave the field and spend that family time? Oh, I mean, it's amazing because you know coming up in professional baseball, it was you know honestly I struggled with the failures and letting them roll off and just forgetting it and be like, you know, like stuff happens. It is what it is, you know, but like when you come home and you got a little boy that could care less if you put up a zero or gave up five runs, you know, it's just dad out there and mama there. It's nothing else matters. You know, like it's, it's a blessing and you know, like he's going to love me regardless of my success and failures. And I never want him to remember me for either one of those, you know, just, just being able to experience this with him is, it's a blessing. Since you spoke about the, the mental aspect of the game, have you taken advantage of Justin Sua's resources and, and abilities? And if so, how much has that helped you too? Sue's amazing. Um, I compare him to a lot like Snyder, where it's it's a very beautiful thing when you have a pitching coach that can take 13 different arms and decipher information and communicate to you on a personal level and not ever fixate on one thing to another guy and it's the same thing with Sua he can take every one of the guy he knows every one of these players in this clubhouse he knows our backstory he knows our families he knows our kids he knows our dogs he knows everything and I get lost in translation sometimes just the name to remember really like off you know off the brinks like it's just special I mean and it's very fortunate to have Sua here as a mental skills guy that gets the on and off the field aspects and then you know off and sue is actually going to be a part of my facility as well so like it's it's a blessing to have somebody like that to create psychological evaluations for the younger guys for us to be able to decipher their learning patterns their ways they handle failure the way they handle things in life and just be able to know our players on a personal level like he does us and how he does and treats everyone as number one. So it's it's great. How quick did you get a trust level with him and also with Kyle? You know, I think it's one of those things where with Kyle it's different because the history speaks for itself. You know, like, I mean, you see the Cy Young he developed in Blake Snell. You know, you see the arms and the bullpens that he's helped establish over the years. It's like, it's not a guess, you know? It's like, I mean, he's he knows what he's doing. Um, so, I mean, I think coming in here and everything that you hear around the league before coming here, it's it's not about am I going to trust him. It's like Kyle Snyder and I get to go there and see what he can do for me, you know. And then Sue, it's, you have one conversation with him and it's like you can trust him with anything that you need, you know. It's it's not about like, like oh, is he going to go tell the front office this or if – I mean, because some guys worry about that in baseball, you know. But it's like, no, I can trust him with my life and – talking to him about personal situations, which I have, and getting phone calls in October, November, December, January, when baseball's irrelevant, and he doesn't even want to talk about baseball. Just, how's life? You know, so like, it's he's an incredible human. And if anybody that's listening to this ever has a chance to get to know him and work with him, take advantage and pay attention, because he's also a very, very intelligent human being as well. Sean, great stuff. We wish you continued success on the mound, and off the field with your uh, setup that you're going to put together in the in the Wendell area as well. So we appreciate a few minutes on This Week in Rays Baseball. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. That's Sean Armstrong joining us in This Week in Rays Baseball. We'll come back with more, including Chris Adams-Wall. Andy Freed will join me, too. Right after this, you're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. 
We continue on this week in race baseball. Appreciate the time of Sean Armstrong. Andy's with me, and so is the guy who's going to take over the program in Chris Adams' wall. And Chris, thanks very much for coming on. This is all your gig starting next week. I can't wait, Neil. Thanks for having me. First of all, for our fans, we, we want to allow fans to see the personal side of you. So give us what got you into the game of baseball to begin with and where your first your love of baseball began. Yeah, that's a great question. It was probably watching the games with my dad. My dad grew up in White Plains, New York. He was a big New York Yankees fan, so please don't hold that against me. I'm now a Rays fan. Don't worry about that. But if we were driving somewhere, we did a lot of trips when I was a kid. He had John Sterling on, and Michael Kay, I guess, was his broadcast partner back then. And then the S Network started and started watching the Yankees there. And uh, that's probably where it came from. And then the Yankees were always in the playoffs. So I got a chance to watch them win a bunch of World Series. So uh, my life as a kid was amazing because the Yankees won the World Series every single year. Uh, but having said that, got to listen to a lot of Joe Buck, young Joe Buck at that. He's still my all-time favorite, I think, just because he knows how to make the game feel big. He could call a, a bocce game and, and make it sound really important. That's my favorite part about Joe Buck. So that's probably what got me started. I also played a lot of baseball growing up, played until about high school, and then my talents expired. But, uh, you know, now I get to do it as a broadcaster, so I feel very grateful. So you're a retired player that uh, <laughs> just decided to retire uh after high school, what about the bond with you and your dad listening together? To me, you know, radio is it's often a a one on one relationship. Uh, sure. I, people are listening in their cars or their boats or wherever. But it's interesting to hear you say that you could connect with your dad uh, about that. How did that happen? Absolutely. We just spent a lot of time together. My dad worked in higher education. He was the dean of admission at a number of different schools, including USC out in uh, Southern California. Um, and so he had summers off, which helped because so did I as, as an elementary school student at the time and in, in middle school. So oftentimes he would put the game on and then we'd mute whoever was calling it on television. No disrespect to TV broadcasters, by the way. We love them. But then he would put on John Sterling or, you know, we, we traveled a lot. So um, and I just thought Sterling's calls were fantastic. The Yankees win. The Yankees win. Or it is high. It is far. It is gone. You know. Uh, it's what he's still doing um and because the yankees did so well that was a lot of fun i'll i'll never forget 2001 though because i'm sitting there with my dad watching the game and then all of a sudden we have a meltdown in the ninth inning and mariano rivera doesn't do what mariano rivera is supposed to do and we lose and that's the first time i think i ever saw my dad curse when i was a kid so that was uh that was really tough to swallow but we had that bond and, you know, my mom would say, all right, now it's time to go to bed. And my dad would be like, yeah, time to go to bed. And then I'd go up the stairs and then I'd come back down, you know, 15, 20 minutes later so I could stay up and watch those big moments like Tino Martinez hitting the game-tying home run in game four off Byung-Yung Kim. And then the next night, Byung-Yung Kim serving up another game-tying home run to Scott Brocious, Derek Jeter's walk-off and all that. So, uh, yeah, it all led to Luis Gonzalez crushing my, my eighth-grade soul. But other than that – it, it was great, and, uh, yeah, my dad and I got incredibly close watching baseball for sure. So that got you up to eighth grade. <laughs> but when when did you decide, I want to broadcast baseball, and how did you get into it? Yeah, that's a good question. I had a radio show back in high school. So I went to a boarding school in New Hampshire, and they had their own radio station, and I was the only one who wanted to do sports talk 
radio. I actually did it with a former Chicago White Sox draft pick uh, a number of years ago and then kind of took it over, but never did any play-by-play. But because of guys like John Sterling and guys like Joe Buck, I thought, you know what? This is something that I should probably do in college. And so I traveled around the country to different places and then ended up in my own backyard in Brunswick, Maine. I went to Bowdoin College. That's where Dale Arnold went, actually, one of the, the, the old voices of the Bruins, the Boston Bruins of the NHL. And I remember meeting with the sports information director there, Jim Caton, and I asked him flat out, so if I come here, is this – I know you guys don't have any broadcasting programs, but can I do the play-by-play for these games? He goes, yeah, we're just starting up these things called webcasts, so we're going to need commentators. So if you want to do all of them, you can do it. And that's one of the main reasons why I decided to go to Bowdoin College, and that was my on-campus job. Uh, certainly beat other people's campus jobs because that's what I wanted to do, and I've kind of taught myself how to broadcast – sports i guess just from listening to other guys and ironically never broadcasted baseball at Bowdoin college i had to go all the way to spain and then los angeles and new york and all over the world basically to end up in montgomery alabama where i landed with the biscuits and now i'm here so uh yeah it's it's life is crazy but you've been around doing other things right you had tried your hand at acting for a while like you're Uh brushing over some of that stuff you traveled here there Uh all over the place what was the ad did the acting bug bite you at one point it absolutely did. I took some acting classes at Bowdoin, and I did a, a, an independent study in stand-up comedy. So then I had to perform about 20 minutes of stand-up in front of the student body, which I think went pretty well. But that scared me, you know, but I always knew I wanted to do it. So I kind of forced myself to break through that because oftentimes it's just the fear that's holding you back. You got to get over that and then just, just do the thing. So I was really grateful I did that. I did try the acting thing for a little bit in Los Angeles. I was in a commercial for a Norwegian supermarket that I don't think ever got made, but they definitely paid me for my three hours of work, and I was in the in the shot. And, uh, you know, I don't know what happened to it. I've definitely searched for that on YouTube a number of times. But the acting kind of led – I had a lot of free time, obviously, and I was like, well, this isn't going to happen all that consistently, I don't think, at the beginning. And I still had an interest in sports, so I was lucky enough through a friend in high school – to get on with Fox Sports right as FS1 was starting. And so then I was placed on a remote production crew to do college football games. My, That's what they told me my first day. And as a kid from New England where college football is not a thing at all, I thought I've made a terrible mistake. I can't believe I'm about to do this. I love college football now. I'm all in. Uh, lived in Alabama for a while, so I'm not going to say which team I support in that region. But, uh, l- l- yeah, just to, you know. Um but uh, through that, I ended up meeting Joe Davis because he was a play-by-play guy on one of our remote broadcast crews. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this guy the same age as me? And he's so good at the broadcasting thing. And that kind of rekindled my desire to get back into it. And then I was, I was in the truck, so I kind of saw how it all went down because I'm just not that smart, I guess. But when I was a kid, I was thinking, this is great. They just set up a camera, they give them mics, and then they go. And then, you know, they magically have these replays and stuff that they go to. No, it's a whole process, so I got to learn that. But Joe started his career with the Montgomery Biscuits, and he was there for three years. Uh, and then ESPN scooped him up. So Joe helped me get in touch with Aaron Vargas, who was his old assistant and now the lead broadcaster of the Biscuits in 2015. And he was looking for some help. And then I moved from L.A. to Montgomery, and the rest is history. Now I'm here talking to you guys. 
But in between, Andy mentioned some stuff was missed. You've traveled to, did I read this right, 78 different countries? <laughs> I, don't know if it's quite, I don't know if it's quite that many, but I have been around. I lived in Spain for a couple of years. I taught English over there. Uh, I traveled around Europe quite a bit, and, and both of my parents were in higher education, and we weren't super wealthy, I will say, but they saved a lot of their money for experiences. They thought that that was really important. So every summer, if we weren't driving across the country to see my grandmother in Washington State from Maine, we were taking the train across the country. I've done that three or four times. Or we were going to Australia. My mom was big on, you know, the Olympics are going to be in Sydney in 2000, and then the whole world's going to want to go. Let's go in 1999, and let's beat everybody to the punch. So we would go there. Um, been to some places in Africa. I studied abroad in Mexico my senior year of high school and traveled around uh, South America. So hablo un poco de español, más o menos. Um, but yeah, that, I think I made traveling my priority. And even during the pandemic in 2020 when I was furloughed because there was no minor league season and we didn't have Biscuits Baseball, I drove to all 48 contiguous states. Would have gone to Alaska, but couldn't get into Canada, and I would have had to drive through the Pacific Ocean. So It sounds like your mom is quite the character, yeah. uh, too. I mean, yeah. you bonded with your dad over baseball and a number of other things, but it was you and your mom yes. uh, after your dad had passed away in your mm-hmm. teen years. How did she rub off you, on you, and, and how did all visiting all those countries? Uh, it, it seems like it would give you a more worldly perspective. That's my sense sure. as I'm getting to know you than, than many other people I've ever met. For sure. I think I definitely get that bug from my mom and all of her independence and – I think I told you guys this story early on a couple of weeks ago, but when she was 16, she told her parents that she was growing up in Washington State in this rural town, and she told her parents, you know, I, I, I'm going to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Hawaii. And her parents were like, okay, like save up enough money on your paper route, and you can go. And so my mom said, okay. And then she did, and then she presented the money and said, I'm going to use this to go to Hawaii. And they're like, Okay, so then she went as a 16-year-old, did that by herself. I don't know, her parents let her fly all the way out there. Then she went to work at a salmon cannery in Alaska, uh, right around college. That's why she's a vegetarian now, but she really enjoyed that. So just having that intrepid spirit, I think. I definitely got that from my mom. And just being curious about other people and cultures and the world and realizing that while, yes, the United States is an incredible country, there's a lot more out there to see and a lot of people don't live the way Americans do and I think that if you go to these places and you start to talk to these people and you see how they live it does in fact make you a a more well-rounded individual but obviously that takes a lot of resources to to do what I did and to travel as much as I did so I'm 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 hyper cognizant of that but uh, just very grateful for those experiences because I think it has has maybe a much more grateful and understanding person Chris on that end how much do you think you were impacted in a positive way by your travel to cover a game like baseball which is a worldly game yeah absolutely there's so many Latin players on this Rays roster which is one of the things that I love most about it you got Christian Bethencourt is from Panama of all places I grew up a big Yankees fan so Mariano Rivera obviously from there too uh it wasn't as big when I lived in Mexico, but I do have some friends down there who, who enjoy watching it. And obviously, uh, the Rays have um, Isaac Paredes, who's from Mexico. Jonathan Aranda was with me with the Biscuits in 2021. He won Southern League MVP, so I would communicate with him in Spanish often. And who knows, maybe we'll get him up here at some point again soon. 
I think it's I think it's definitely helped. I've never been to the Dominican Republic though, so I'm pretty embarrassed by that as a as a Spanish speaker and a guy who loves baseball. So I think that at some point this offseason I'll have to go there. I'm curious what you think about I mean you've been in the Rays organization now for quite a long time and I mean I know Neil and I think there's never a shortage of things to talk about in in this organization. They love being uh, groundbreakers and that to me has been really really enjoyable. Most of these ideas have tended to work. Maybe some haven't over the years, but you saw it at more of a grassroots level in the, at the Rays AA uh, system. Who, what, what is it like for you to work in this organization? What's it been like? I feel like I've seen a couple of different eras overlap, honestly. My first year in 2015, it felt like kind of the end of something and the beginning of something with, with Kevin Cash coming in, obviously, with the Rays and building what they have now, building towards that. So that's been really cool. I'll never forget in 2018, R.C. Lichtenstein, my pitching coach, told me that Matt Crook, who's now in the Yankees organization, was going to start. And I said, okay, what? <laughs> you know, like he's a reliever. He goes, yeah, we're going to call him the opener. This is something new the Rays are trying. I'm thinking, okay, like a can opener type thing? Gotcha. Like, I don't know how this is going to work. And he goes, yeah, and then there'll be a bulk guy behind him. And, like, it'll it'll all work out. Just, you know, just, just put it on the lineup card. I'm like, okay, R.C. So – that was really fun, too. We don't do it as often as we did, but we're, we're still doing it a little bit in 2023, or they were with the Biscuits. But, yeah, I love this organization. They, It's what you guys told me during my interview process. If you have an idea, don't be afraid to share it because we love weird ideas at the Rays. Some of them work, some of them don't, but we're going to try stuff. So that's probably what I, what I love the most. And it's what Christian Bethacourt told me when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. This team... And this organization just kind of lets you be yourself in ways that I feel like other organizations don't. So I'm really excited about this opportunity. I want to thank you guys for your time and can't wait to get to work with you going forward. We look forward to you trying things uh, on the air, pregame, postgame, and obviously with this week in race baseball. Great to chat with you and enjoy going forward. Thank you very much, Neil and Andy. Well, we appreciate the time of Chris Adams-Wall and look forward to him hosting uh, for many uh, shows to come and joining us right now is race bench coach Rodney Linares and Rodney uh, appreciate a few minutes tell me what it's been like for you obviously the season has gone very well for the team but the transition for you seems fairly seamless from third base to bench coach how has it been for you yeah uh, it's been it's been great like uh, you know you work alongside guys that make your job a lot easier uh, you know cash is not very demanding on day-to-day uh, -day stuff especially reports and uh, you know we have a really good group on the uh, R&D department that gets us our analytics uh, and Jay Money processes most of this most of the uh, analytics so I'm there you know uh, again it, it's been it's been quite uh, easy how different is it seeing the game because you, when you're watching the game from two vi different vantage points one at half the game at third base and then one from in the dugout, how different is it now to be in the dugout at all times, and how do you see the game differently? It's a it's a lot different because I'm I'm in the middle of conversations of uh, decision making during the game with uh, Cassie and Kyle. Uh, for the most part, when we're talking about pitching with Kyle, and uh, you know having to get the guys ready, we have a, again we have a really good staff. Uh, uh, you know Brady North and uh, Dan Demant. Uh, and, and Chad, they, they do, you know, they, they help out a lot in the dugout, especially getting guys ready. Uh, so, yeah, like watching the game from those two different perspectives, 
you know, I get to be more involved, I would say, more in the decision-making. But, you know, I miss their base. <laughs> I miss their base a lot. But at the same time, I like what I'm doing now. Are there conversations? How often do you chat with Brady, too, just about things that you may see from the dugout and perspectives that you may have because of all your time, A, managing like he did and also coaching third base? I think, you know, Brady's great at what he does. You know, he brings a different perspective to the game he sees the game uh he's been around a lot of these guys when they were younger he's seen these guys at their best uh i tend not to talk to him about a lot about coaching third we've had conversations about pointers and what do you do what do you look for and stuff like that but for the most part i think you know when a guy has done what brady's done for so long in the minor leagues i see myself in the same same way you know i did it for so long when i got here Q kind of helped me uh, when I got here, just on a small talk conversations, but it wasn't like, this is the way I did it, so how are you going to do it? No, like, everybody's different, and, and, and again, I think, you know, he does a great job over there. We, again, we've had minimal conversations about stuff. I always tell him, uh, one thing I did for four years when I was here, like, I was really aggressive, and I would tell him, you'd be surprised to see, to know that in the big leagues, not a lot of guys throw well, so, you know, you can take your chances, and he's done a great job for us. Indeed he has, and since you mentioned Q, what's it been like seeing him again, this time on the other side for the first time this year? It's fun. It ain't like it that we lost the first game, but uh, it's fun. Like, Q was one of the guys that when I got here really, really helped me kind of uh, cement myself in the staff. Like, he was the one guy, you know, uh, through the whole interview process, I only talked to Cashy. And then my conversations were with Q. They're totally uh, different, opposite. And, like, he was the one guy that was really welcoming. And, you know, Cassie likes to joke around. Q's more like even keel, serious guy. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that I would have I done the things I've done in the game if it wasn't for people like Q when I got here that helped me uh, kind of uh, be a part of the group really quick and adjust and you know and I'm going here on my fifth year so and the other curious adjustment I, I was uh, wanted to ask about is just the relationship with players how different is it for you as a bench coach versus being a third base coach and what have you had to adjust if anything that, that's a that's a really good question I think that especially the way that we operate since we let guys know the day before who's playing who's starting uh, where are they playing? We don't tell them the order they're hitting, but we tell them where they're playing. Uh, it's been one of those where you've had to have more of a build more of a relationship than you had when you were coaching third. When you were coaching third and just doing the infield, it was mostly, uh, you know, I was out there with them. I was a part of, like, I'm part of the little group. Now it's like, uh, I have to tell you guys you're playing you're not playing some of them don't like it some of them they like they, they they're, they're okay with it but they understand that what we're trying to do and I think that's been the biggest adjustment has been that it's been kind of uh, having to you know get that uh, we've already had some relationships but it kind of make made it make them better knowing that I'm still the same guy that was at third base that I'm gonna have the, have their back and that was best interest like we all do so much more of managing almost the personalities yeah I think in this game, that's the biggest The biggest thing is, you know, just managing 26 different personalities in the 
and then the coaches too. <laughs> you have to manage the coaches too. But, but yeah, like you know, it's been great. I'm having a lot of fun. We've had some a lot of success this year, and uh, you know we're, we're, we've been healthy, and I'm really happy. Well, here's to more of that, Rodney. We appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. All right, thank you, man. That's Rodney Lenars, race bench coach. We'll come back with more this week in race baseball right after this on the race baseball network. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our guest right now is Ralph Wimbish Jr. as we chat about the Black Legacy game that was at Tropicana Field back on Friday. And first of all, we really appreciate you being on the program. It's my honor to be here, and particularly to honor my dad, which is great. Tell me what it means that the Rays are having or had a game like this and the significance that it holds. Well, my dad, way back in the 60s, fought for integration uh, spring training integration when the black players couldn't stay with the white players and he caught a lot of flack for that and uh, eventually he succeeded and uh, who, who would have thought 40 years 50 years later we'd have a ballpark here with the rays here and they're in first place and everything so my dad would have been proud of that and i'm sure you were proud of the legacy that he left and what he accomplished at the time i remember watching just earlier this year the movie after jackie which really helped document some of the work that he did yeah he uh he was there i mean it took, it took courage back then i mean we had a cross burner in our yard right after he said he was going to help uh the teams uh you know, continue the jim crow tradition of you know the black players couldn't stay in the white hotels so my dad said i'm not doing this anymore i'm not going to help abide by this and help the uh, Jim Crow process and that led to the integration of uh, baseball as <laughs> spring training down here and all the teams down in Florida benefited from that. And for fans who don't know and if they haven't seen the movie after Jackie I welcome to do so but there were some really well-known and important players at the time who your dad was tied to whether it was Bob Gibson or Kurt Flood or Bill White who eventually became the the president on the National League side. Yeah, we had all of them come to our house. Elston Howard uh, stayed in my bedroom. In fact, I wrote his biography uh, back in 19, well, in 2001 it was published. But Elston was there. He stayed at our house. Bob Gibson would come, Bill White, Kurt Flood. Cap Calloway stayed in my house also, and uh, that was a great trip. I went to the ball game once with Cap, which is great. Althea Gibson was there, Jesse Owens. Uh, it was, I mean, it was, at the time I was like seven years old, so I didn't really grasp why they were coming to our house but you know in retrospect now god how great was that to have all these famous athletes and uh coming coming through our house as you continue to remember him and so many others when did you really grasp what he had done and also what went on in your home and in this in this area uh, um, I guess probably when the Yankees left town in 1961, I kept asking my dad why, you know, I was a big Yankee fan, I still am a Yankee fan, uh, why they were leaving town. And he said because they found a better place that would integrate as opposed to St. Petersburg. And that kind of, I came of age on that, let's put it that way. I, I sort of began to realize what was going on. For the Rays to continue to honor that legacy, what your dad did, and the way they have been integrated into the community, what does that mean to you? Well, unfortunately, I don't live in St. Peter anymore. I live up in North Carolina. But I follow baseball, and I see they're in first place, and I watch their games up in North Carolina on MLB Network and whatever. 
so it's great to have a team. You know, I was just telling my wife uh, a few minutes ago, you know, I couldn't imagine 50 years ago having a, a team like every day you could come out to the ballpark and watch Major League Baseball. I mean, I couldn't conceive of that 50, 60 years ago when I was growing up. I mean, we had spring training, but that's not the same as having a real baseball team, particularly as one as good as the Rays are right now. Uh, it should be appreciated that you have this team here. And for fans who don't know, tell us a little bit about what you do now. Um, not only to remember your dad, but I in the community that you live in now and, and really to uh, continue to build awareness. Well, I, um, I used to, when I was 16, I got hired at the St. Pete Times as a copy boy. And I worked there through college. I went to USF. And uh, once I got out of college, I was hired as a sports writer up in New York. And eventually, I ended up working at the New York Post for 25 years as assistant sports editor. And unfortunately, the newspaper business as we know it is not the same as it was 20, 30 years ago. So I'm retired now. But I have written three books, including one that came out two years ago called Heroes, in which I pay tribute to my dad and various other athletes that I got to know as a sports writer up in New York, traveling around uh, the country and the world. <laughs> We welcome people to read it. We welcome you to the ballpark, and we thank you so much for being on This Week in Race Baseball. Thank you, Neil. Glad to be here. That's Ralph Wimbish Jr., and uh, we appreciate his time, and we've got a special segment coming up as we wrap up our program. Hi, Neil. It's Becca. You know all of us on the broadcast team can tell you about a million and one times how much you're going to be missed on the pre- and post-game shows, twerb, and the watch parties. But instead of hearing it again from me, let's hear from those who are going to miss you the most. This is Cliff Wolf. I've been a Rays radio listener since I moved here in 2005, and I wanted to call and express my appreciation and gratitude to Neil Solons for all he did for us fans with the pre- and post-game shows. Neil, we'll miss the way you carried us through the excitement of a good win and the way you helped us manage the disappointment of a tough loss. From day one, you enriched the post-game experience. You made the shows both entertaining and informative, and when we needed it, therapeutic. I never wanted to miss your shows because I knew of the quality and the effort of thought and content you always invested in them. And I'll close by wishing you well in your role with Andy Freed, bringing us the play-by-play in every game. Good luck. Hi, Neil. This is Teresa Zioli, one of your greatest fans. And I'm letting you know how thankful and grateful I am to you for all the years of the watch parties. I have enjoyed every single minute of them especially with your insightful wisdom and your knowledge of baseball and the great fun that you've brought me all these years. And I'd like to thank you also for the after game uh, listening party. It's just been a delight knowing you and hearing you and I wish you the best continued success. And I'm so proud of you for taking this step forward with the Rays and the broadcasting. Congratulations. Raise up. Hey, this is Ray's Fangio. Uh, Neil Solons, every spring training I saw you the, for the first time, I would say, Neil, I'm so disappointed to see you because I always thought you deserved a full-time play-by-play job somewhere in the country. And if I saw you, that meant that you didn't get one. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if you go to church or not, but God puts people in places they're supposed to be and God kept you in Tampa Bay because of the unfortunate thing that happened to, you know, the, one of the greatest announcers of all time, Dave Wills. And you were meant to stay here so you could replace him. And nobody 
in the world could replace Dave Wills the way that you have. Neil, you're a spectacular human. Uh, love to see you succeeding. And may you and Andy Freed have 25, 30 years together, brother. Congratulations. We miss you on the pregame and the postgame, but uh, God took care of you, brother. Uh, way to go, Neil. I'm Lucy Pellucci, Neil, and I'm just very happy that we're hearing about you again. You've always been able to keep us interested in the baseball you know, games going on, that we get to go watch the watch parties and everything, because you're there telling us everything that we need to know, we, and games and everything else, too. It was always a lot of fun, but um, we're going to miss you, for one thing. But that's okay, because you're going to get to have more fun doing other things that we're hoping, anyway, that are going to make you feel very, very happy, <laughs> because it's going to make us want to cry because we didn't get to see you. But we just want you to be, like I said, happy. We'll be happy as long as you're happy. And we can't help it if we miss you. <laughs> we do. Dave and I miss you. Joel misses you. Everybody that, you know, all the other people that go to the watch parties always miss you. Even the people working for you there miss you too. But, and you're worth everything. You really are. That's what I can say. And I want to just say thank you, thank you. <laughs> Neil, it's Andy. I get to be the one person to say I won't miss you because I get to be closer to you now in the booth. I can tell you that when you arrived, and I'll speak on behalf of our buddy Dave, uh, who echoed the same sentiment, when you arrived, it made our broadcast complete. You were a piece that needed to be added, and thankfully you came along and did that. And I greatly appreciate more than your presence. Your ability to remember things, you're the brains of the booth. When I have a question about what's the rule on the roster here and why can this guy be there and not be here, you're the person I lean on. And I'm glad to say that uh, that I don't have to hunt you down anymore in your booth or somewhere inside the ballpark to ask you this stuff because I get to be next to you all the time. Congratulations on all your time and efforts, and thank you for what you did to make the pre- and post-game show what it is. And I know Chris Adams-Wall is going to take that baton and continue to make it a wonderful part of our broadcast. It's complete, and thank you once again. Hey, Neil, it's Chris Miller. In over 12 years, we certainly shared many memories at watch parties, spring training, and hanging out in the mobile studio. But right now, I wanted to take this time to thank you for the effort you put into this show. You've shined a light on so many people and meaningful stories through the years, and I'm confident in saying that every Rays fan who listened, was educated, and entertained. So thank you again. No one did it like you. Now for one final time on This Week in Rays Baseball, let's send it to Neil Solons. Whew. All right. Uh, Andy's usually the one with all the napkins by me, and I was not smart enough to bring them and put them by my side uh, since my wife knows I'm fairly much mushball. Uh, but here's our chance to wrap up 11 and a half years. I, I hope more than anything that during this time I've done really what Chris said. My goal with this was we can only do so much in the play-by-play opportunity of a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-hour broadcast every day. So what this week in Rays Baseball hopefully did was do what it should, which is allow you to see the players as people, as humans, and tell their stories in a way that we couldn't in in a short-form format when you've got 20 seconds or 30 seconds before they come to the plate or 20 or 30 seconds or a minute during the course of their at bat and we've allowed you to see people as they are like we saw with Sean Armstrong like we saw today with Chris Adams Wall and his unique story and his unique travels that brought him to this place and I know that Chris is going to carry that on in his own way and in his own voice and in a remarkable way 
that will be quite similar to what we've done, but also quite different because it will be him as this came through me. And really that's, to me, what makes Rays Baseball special is there are great people and great individuals in this organization, and you heard from great fans. Um, and and I want to just say thank you for the cooperation that I've gotten today and over the years. As far as today's broadcast, thanks to Andy and Chris for coming on. Um, thanks to Sean Armstrong. Thanks to Rodney Linares. And thanks to Ralph Wimbish Jr. I will be doing some other programming. I'm not doing this week in race baseball, but it is the 25th anniversary. I've already done an interview with Wade Boggs, and that will air in a special 25th anniversary podcast. I know I'm scheduled to go to the home of Carl Crawford to talk about his Hall of Fame induction. And when we go to Arizona, I'm going to do a sit-down with Evan Longoria and chat about his wonderful legacy with this organization and some unique things that are coming up during the course of this year. Uh, but and, and we will do those occasionally, but this will be by and large all Chris. Uh, and I want to welcome Chris to the fold. Next week he's going to chat with Taj Bradley and much more. I certainly want to thank all the people who behind the scenes made this happen, like Jason Berenger today back in our network studios, uh, plus, of course, the on-site assistance and the leadership the last several weeks and months from Chris Miller, who's been amazing, and the same with Becca Carney for her work today. Uh, she's probably happy she got to see a few tears uh, come down. And uh, thanks to Parker and Alex for their assistance with the programs the last several weeks as well. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. Chris Adams-Wall has the pregame show next on the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.